0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Addicts and Recovery. It has been a couple weeks since we uploaded anything, but I've been working hard to get us a new, uh, get, get me a new co-host and kind of get you guys some new materials. So this week I've brought on Spencer and Spencer's going to be my new co-host for a while. So he's got a really great story and uh, I think that you guys are really going to enjoy it. So uh, tune in.
1: Let's talk, man. Where are you from? Well, I'm pretty much a local boy to where we are now, which is kind of Harpenden. Okay. uh, In Hertfordshire, just north of London. Um, Born and raised there. Um, Went to school there. Uh, It's a lovely, lovely area. Uh, Green and leafy and beautiful. Oh, yeah? So, yeah. it's cool, man. What was it like growing up? So.
0: A lot of people that are listening to this are Americans. So, they're going to be like... What is it
1: like growing up in England? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are the cultural <laughs> What's differences? The culture? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I guess um, I my my childhood, I guess, was pretty normal up until the age of six or seven. But I mean, in terms of of growing up, um, this is kind of a really lovely, beautiful area of England. Um, you know, you can as when i was growing up as kids you could play out in the streets until dark and um you know it was a very safe neighborhood people i mean not what they did but theoretically people could leave their houses unlocked and you know you can go around to your neighbor to borrow a cup of fucking sugar or coffee or whatever it is that people do so you're and, not living in the hood not really the hood <laughs> <just> no Hertfordshire <laughs> would not be described as the hood um, okay. so yeah it's it's like this this part of the world is is really like lovely leafy green suburbia so uh what was your childhood like? Well, I guess um, I was pretty n- normal at least the sort of the the first part of it i um you know, my my parents were doing fairly well in their respective careers. Um, you know, my dad was a chartered accountant; he still is. Um, and my mum <clears throat> was doing kind of—I uh, think she was she owned a salon um, back then and uh, was doing like hair and nails and all that kind of stuff. And really, it was a a lovely family home mm-hmm. um and i think my parents were very ready to have a child and obviously then i came along i was born in 1978 only child i am an only child um lucky well yes and no <laughs> so um spoiled i think That's i had to share everything yeah um the um i think part of the reason that I was an only child, is sort of part of the story as well of of me, um, because I was born with a genetic blood disorder. Um, oh. So I I commonly refer to it as haemophilia because sometimes people have heard of that. Um, haemophilia is where your blood does not clot properly. So if I, for instance, cut myself, then I don't stop bleeding. You can just bleed out. can bleed out. Okay. Um, And um, actually, I have a very rare form of haemophilia, something called Christmas disease. And it doesn't mean that I get ill around like December and stuff (laughs) like that. That's
0: a very, uh, it's a very contradictive name.
1: It's like really happy word, but then with. But (laughs) oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Christmas disease. Okay. Yeah. So um, it was named after, I think it was the first patient that ever they they sort of discovered it and his name was mr christmas so it's christmas disease um okay (laughs) so um that had some pretty profound effect on my parents um, really because um back in so it would have been the late 70s sort of early 80s you know i was born in 78 so it they didn't really understand it, my parents, that is. And also the medical profession understood far less than they do now. Mm-hmm. So it was... My dad thought I wasn't going to live. I mean, he re- he genuinely thought I was going to die. Um, and I think that hit them very, very hard. I think my mum had an incredible amount of guilt over it. Really? And um, yeah, my dad then the next year... Was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was one, Um, which meant that he he degenerated fairly rapidly Uh um, over the course of about five years to being completely wheelchair bound and not being able to really move at all.
0: Wow! So your entire, basically, your entire life, you have your dad has been. Kind of in a wheelchair. Yeah, that's
1: right. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> I think on top of the guilt that my mum was already feeling for then, and my dad was like the breadwinner and everything Their their marriage just collapsed. Oh. Um, and, um, my mum had what I think now, and this is purely my opinion. Um, I was about six and she had a nervous breakdown basically. Uh, uh-huh. um, and so they got divorced, and um, my kind of this kind of Id- idyllic kind of um, family situation, this nuclear family, and they wanted to have more kids, really, ideally. And uh, but it all kind of just fell to bits, um, and my dad moved back with his parents so that they could help care for him, um, and me and my mum moved out of Harpenden. Uh, to Luton um, now, Luton is less salubrious than than, um, than Harpenden. It's a, it's a bit that I mean I'm still not going to say it's the ghetto, right? But it's 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 going more that way, quite a lot more that way. Um, and so that was that was a real kind of sea change in terms of how everything worked, and um. It's very interesting because I'm going to talk about my people-pleasing tendencies at some point during this conversation. And um, I think that a couple of the things that happened during that kind of experience really... Um, I'm, I'm not going to say created it, but per- perhaps developed it and, and, and nurtured that kind of people-pleasing <coughs> attitude uh-huh. um, and persona, really. So, yeah.
0: What... um. Do you remember when? Uh, wow, easy there on your foot, Zach. Do you remember when you had when they had a divorce? Were you, or six, yeah. do your memories only go back? Because what you said you were what six, six and oh, six through to seven, kind of that period. Um, did that have? How did you handle that? Do you remember how you handled that?
1: Um, I I think. It's, I mean, I was going to just going to say badly, but I mean, (laughs) um, uh, I mean, when I kind of look back at it, if I'm quite blase about it, then I'll just say, you know, it just happened and that's life and, you know, but actually I think it was, it was quite profound. Um,
0: yeah. What kind of seven year old can say, oh
1: yeah, that's life. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, at the time, I I remember crying a lot, being hugely upset. I had problems at school, um, just with being this kind of emotional wreck. Um, When it was just me and my mum, there was a lot of concern about money and putting food on the table and um, some things that I'd never experienced before. So, um, and also that time, I'd been at private school um, and... Um, once my parents split, they obviously they couldn't sustain, they couldn't afford that, and they couldn't sustain it. So I came out of the private school system into the the you know just the the state schools. Uh-huh. Um, now that's that's not a disparaging comment about state schools because my school was fantastic, but in this area there are only like three senior schools as it was at that time. And all the the junior schools fed the senior schools, right? Except I'd been out of that system. I'd been in the private system. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know anybody. Oh, yeah. And everyone yeah. already knew everyone, right? Generally. I mean, not mm-hmm. completely, but the, there was a lot of friendship groups and people were like, I knew nobody.
0: Oh, yeah, because these these kids had spent,
1: you know, years together prior. For sure. Yeah. So um, joining that, that system, I, I think that... I already had some of this people-pleasing tendency because I think my mum would get very upset about the divorce and my dad was obviously really not well, so I would go to them and try and comfort them in my own kind of juvenile way. My mum would sort of pat me on the head and and give me a cud and say, aren't you a good boy? And then, you know, that sort of turns into, well, helping people you know, emotionally Uh, is the kind of the right thing to do. And so it's just that gentle start of perhaps the people pleasing tendency. Mm -hmm. I think that that got amplified when I changed school. So I didn't change school till I was 10. Um, So they they kept me on, uh, my dad kept me on a couple of extra years because he could afford to, but then it just became impossible. So when I moved to this environment where everyone already knew each other, I I then started this kind of chameleon style persona because I just wanted to get on with everybody and I just wanted to have friends so I became to be very adaptive kind of very malleable in terms of my personality um because you just want to fit in yeah Absolutely. Um, you don't want to be the one that nobody knows. Like, who's that fucking kid, right? Like, yeah, nobody, exactly. Nobody knows who you are. And like, um, so, you know, kind of that people-pleasing and that chameleon-style personas, I think, were kind of born in me. And that's, that's really, I think, th- that wasn't really the start of what I would call my a- addictive personality traits because actually I think that started earlier. Uh Um, but I think it definitely fostered that within me. Um, you say that you feel like it started earlier.
0: Do you remember, uh, do having addictive qualities or addictive traits prior to that? Or like, do you, do you think that the, uh, the divorce really kind of
1: set that off or? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I don't want to like this is not a like kick the shit out of my parents kind of thing like you no, know they no. they're doing the absolute we, best they could but we but we are just...
0: products of our environment yeah, right of course. and everybody does
1: the best they can yeah um so in in terms of that i think one of the things because i was an only child um i would get a lot of alone time and um i think w- w- the way that my my kind of addictive personality really came to the fore that I can sort of point to and go, "Mm, yeah, maybe like was kind of fantasy. So, um, I was addicted to fantasy, like just my own world, the, the creation of like magical weird and wonderful things like, um, my my reading, like I read the Hobbit. My dad read the Hobbit by me by J.R.R. R. Tolkien. I don't know if uh-huh. if you know the book. Now, it, I've, now, yeah, I've motion yeah, picture. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it's kind, it's kind, <laughs> it's kind of like um, it's all about orcs and swords oh, yeah. and dragons and all that stuff. Like, and I, I got really into this because it was real escapism, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I really became addicted to to reading and this idea of otherworldly kind of stuff and just being in my own head and not it's a way of disengaging from reality mm-hmm. you know it was changing the way i felt basically
0: i uh i've been to so many so many meetings uh where people will sit and they'll share about how the, their drinking problems didn't start until they were like in their forties, or their their addicted addiction didn't show until you know they were well into their lives, and uh, I I find it really interesting because I was the same way. Uh, when I was young, I had all sorts of I mean, any any opportunity to check out a reality using using television, using uh, video games, using anything I could to yeah escapism uh, from as. Damn you're as like, young as I can remember, mm. I used to do that exact same thing
1: yeah, and I, I you know you can only talk about your own experience, can't you but I mean my suspicion is that if if a number of people thought about it very hard that that maybe instead of glossing over some of that, that they might be able to find some earlier tra- certainly if I talk about it from my perspective, then I look back and I see that there's this trauma mm-hmm. that, that's that's been in my life and um, this was my coping mechanism. These are my personas that um, that I've kind of created to to face the world because inside, I have this primal idea that the world is a dangerous place mm. and that, you know, that I need to protect this inner me because it won't be accepted. And the the personas that i created these the chameleon stuff the, the like a, a, and there's a bunch of different ones that i i recognize now that i had like this t- kind of tortured artist and like i use a lot of humor to deflect like this kind of joker stuff and um there's a bunch of these different facades that i put up to protect this inner like ch inner child mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. and and that it's just a defense mechanism against reality right so um because as I've, I've mentioned to you before zach like i one of my core value my core beliefs was that it's not okay to be not okay and mm-hmm. um i can't ask anyone for help because i would rather die than let you know i'm not okay because i have to be perfect right so it comes to the perfectionism facade right so you have to appear that everything is okay on the surface, even though you're fucking dying inside yeah. Right? <laughs> you know? like yeah um you need to just make it look like it's okay
0: yeah i uh I don't know exactly where this um where this whole perfectionism facade comes from, but uh from from the area that I grew up in uh it's very prevalent, very prevalent. Everybody has to be, they have to have the perfect family and they have to have the perfect job and they have to live in the perfect house. And, uh, instead of admitting that they're human and admitting that they, uh, that they're not perfect because fucking no one is, um, <laughs> they'll go to the doctor and then they'll just medicate themselves. Right. They'll, uh, they'll take like Xanax or Vicodin or whatever, whatever they can to just calm themselves down so that they can cope with the fact that they are actually not happy Um, and, and we, it it just seems like we as people in now in two different types of societies are just kind of raised that way where we can't, uh, we feel like we can't be, uh, off or we feel like we can't not be okay.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely spot on. And I really feel that in terms of the sort of pressures of society, that's certainly kind of one aspect, but um, we obviously care so much about what other people think about us that that's kind of a driving force between, behind a load of our actions and, you know, all the stuff that we do and what we say is because, you know, it's important to me that I look good to you. Mm-hmm. Why? I, yeah. I, yeah, do you know what <laughs> exactly. I mean? Like it, it, it's It's so weird <laughs> because... Because I think in my heart, I think that the world's a dangerous place, and that I have to protect myself against anything that's going to try and damage the inner me. But I tell you what—what what I've come to understand is that, like, I'm—I'm I'm not those facades, right? I am not those things. And this inner, like, sensitive child that lives inside of my heart—I'm not that fucking thing either. Yeah, I'm uh, neither of those things. I'm just me. Like, yeah, and. That's okay, man. That's just that yeah. it's just okay. Um, but it's a long road that, it, you know, to get oh, to that point of realization. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I am not perfect around realizing that all the time. And you know what? That's okay too, man. It's progress, man. Progress. <laughs> progress, not
0: perfection. Right. Uh, so you, you moved schools mm. and you started becoming this chameleon and started kind of uh, almost uh, like you said, people pleasing, or I guess trying to, it seems like, and you didn't, you didn't say this. I'm going to kind of put this in my own words, like, uh, kind of manipulating other people into, into accepting you. Right. For sure. Okay. Um, how did, so back from there, what, how did, how did life
1: progress? So, um, at that, at that school, um, cause I'd come out of private education um academically i was leaps and bounds in front of everybody Mm -hmm. like kind of like three years ahead um and you know the really sensible thing to to do would have been to like knuckle down and make sure you have a really solid foundation of all the things that you've been taught and um Yeah, I I didn't do that. (laughs) What kid would, okay? I just want
0: to know what
1: kid would do that. Not this kid. Yeah, (laughs) It sounds like not you either,
0: right?
1: (laughs) Um, But but so I I got real lazy. Um, And because it was easy, man, like I could, like on my maths exam at the end of my first year, I scored 100%. <laughs> right, okay. No one does that, right? That's, uh. that's just fr- like, I didn't drop a single mark in the whole exam. Um, and that was from no work for the whole year as well. But the thing was, when we got to the point where we started to catch up, like all of, all of the things that I'd learned previously start to fade a little bit from mind... But of course, now I've got this habit of just being lazy motherfucker, right? Oh yeah. So um, when you suddenly like, oh, oh, now I have to do work because I actually don't know this stuff. Oh yeah. Um, but I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> 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 so I I, I, I basically like, I coasted through, like, just doing the bare minimum. Um, and I'm lucky that I'm, I'm reasonably bright and that I'd had a good foundation at my my old, old school like. uh-huh bearing in mind that uh, at the private school you know um the day started at eight twenty, and finished at five twenty, and we went to school on saturdays oh like God. yeah it, and and don't forget this is when i was like six seven eight years old uh, it's a lot it's a long day um and I think then going to to a school where we started at nine and finished at three thirty, I was like, "This is like half a day." Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, when, when this, the whole stuff started catching up with me, is when we take our like our GCSEs, which is um, like the mandatory level that everyone has to sort of get to. That's the after you do your GCSE exams, it's the first stage that you can actually leave school. So that's when you're sixteen. Okay, um, and um I did pretty well. Um like I, I passed everything apart from religious education which I had a bit of problem with but we won't go into that. <laughs> I have to We might d- have to get back to that. Uh, all right. Well, well I, I'll just tell you one one little, a- <laughs> one little anecdote was that um in the I had the headmaster teaching me for religious education for my class he taught. Um and um we did our mock exam and I just by this point Zach, I didn't really care. About, I did not care for religious education. Um, and one of the, and bearing in mind, he's marking these mock papers, right? So, the um, the question was, what does it say below Jesus Christ on the cross when he was on the cross? They they hung a a sign underneath him. And uh, my football team is Tottenham Hotspur, so I wrote Spurs for the cup, <laughs> which <laughs> which. <laughs> Which apparently was, uh, was somewhat frowned upon. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh
0: my God, that's great. Um, okay. And um,
1: apparently the correct answer is, here, here is the king of the Jews, I believe. I, I will remember that forever. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I, too. Had, I It had wasn't... To, I, I, I had to explain that to him. And in the end, in the final exam, I ended up getting a G. No, I did like that's one below F, F right? How, does, yeah, how do you get a G? I didn't even know that was possible. Well, neither did I. And if I talk to you about my A-level results, that's even even cooler. But um well when I say cool kids, don't it's not cool. Um the uh yeah, it was the only G that anyone in the whole school got across all the examinations for oh, the entire wow. year. Cause I just yeah, it was it was it was not pretty. But um yeah. So, I, a, in any case, I, I managed to scrape through the GCSEs. When, when after, in England, um, after GCSEs, you can either leave school or you can carry on and do A levels, which is advanced level, right? Okay. So um, this is into uh, sixth form. It's the sixth year of your your um, your senior school. Um, so this is like seventeen, eighteen. Uh huh. And. Um, my dad had been in business, so I'd always wanted to kind of go that way. So I started doing economics, um, politics, and sociology. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. How did uh, So how did that go? Um, well, on the basis I, I, I was I had started drinking and using drugs by this point in my life. So. Um, Th- th- not well I mean, okay. where you can kind of blag GCSEs a levels you cannot like you need to know this stuff right what uh we're gonna come back to
0: this yeah you said that by this point you were you were drinking and using yeah. um yeah. what when did that start and how did that look at that time
1: so it started um I I uh, I mean, I, I can tell you specifically how old I was, but it would have been sometime around my seventeenth birthday. Like, um, we had a party around—well, mar- party—it was more like a sleepover of like a few mates. Like, my parents had gone away, and mm-hmm. um, I had a few mates over the house, and we found a bottle of martini, the the the, the fruit martini. <laughs> okay, uh, martin- martini is a vermouth for anyone that, that is listening that doesn't know. Um, we, uh, do not drink it it's disgusting right um but i we discovered it and we were like trying it and um yeah i finished it really like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so I drank to blackout um i was ill and this is the first time you drank yeah wow okay um and um that was Yeah, it's pretty indicative of the way that things were going to go actually so um
0: it seems like a it seems like a sign yeah yeah
1: Yeah. you'd think right um but um as as things progressed um because you know when I first started drinking I was like this magical confidence that comes in a glass bottle you know like I was thinking like and if only, only I could be more confident, if only I could talk to girls, if only, if only. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems that someone had bottled this yeah. <laughs> and now sold it on the shelves of the supermarkets <laughs> and the off-licences. Um, and uh, I was like, all my problems are solved. All my problems are solved because now I have alcohol. Uh huh. And um, not only that, like, there was this, the fitting in thing, right? So... I would have different groups of friends because of this chameleon shit that I had going on. So I could, like, hang out with these set of buddies on, like, a Friday night and these on a Saturday night and these guys on on Sunday or whatever and just get fucked up every every time, right? Yeah. And you're at that age where hangovers, like... It's either almost enjoyable or non-existent and I was kind of very... I was going to say blessed, but... um, I guess for, fortunate maybe in in terms of my hangovers that I didn't suffer with them too bad uh-huh. at at that stage in my career of drinking yeah, yeah. <laughs> early on yeah um and um when I look back at it now so I mean in Eng- England we have a big pub culture right so everyone goes down to the pub the public house um, yeah. to to drink of an evening um and so you're not allowed in the pub until you're 18, but you can try and sneak in when you're 17 and stuff like. You can get away with it sometimes, <laughs> right? So, um, when when I started going to pubs, looking back on it, I noticed things like I was always the last person there. I would always finish my drink first. I even at, even at that stage, at some points, I was getting. If I went up to get the drinks for everybody, that I would buy myself like a little shot of vodka as well as my beer and like just do that at the bar so that no one else kind of knew um and it it, yeah it was just it was like when you look back at it and you sort of you notice those those kind of things you say ah (laughs) maybe i i've I've had a problem (laughs) from the start from the beginning (laughs) yeah
0: that's um so you you start going to these you start getting becoming part of the pub culture and you're still trying to go to school. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this kind of brings us back to where we were at. How did those, how did those blend together? Um,
1: well, through a a mixture of, uh, kind of lies, (laughs) um, and, and luck, um, and, Um, just I I guess like this there was there was some perseverance down inside of me right I'm I'm kind of stubborn um and so I sort of went through the motions without doing any of the like the real work Mm -hmm. um I was I was skipping school I I'd actually like at my at my school uh, I, I'd been kind of like I'd failed and so they didn't let me continue. So I went to the local college and started at the A-levels again. So I'd done a year and they were like, mm, nah. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, let me go to the college. And at the college there was um, there's a big drinking culture um, anyway because it's students, right? But there was also a big weed culture, um, which I was totally down with. Uh-huh. Um, and... Um, yeah, we just kind of skirted around it. And I just, I had this idea that just come the exams, everything would be okay. Yeah. <laughs> just, I just, you know, it's magical thinking, really. Like mm. we would call it like, you know, it'll be okay. Like fucking what? Yeah. You haven't done any work, you <laughs> asshole. Like, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen, right? And, and I have to tell you, mate, like the the, the A-level results, Yeah so <laughs> well first <laughs> i don't know if i should admit to this on a podcast me and my friend paul like one of the guys that i hang out with this guy paul we we, we took sociology together and i was like mate i'm gonna fail this i am gonna fail this so badly i okay? go like we need we need to do something right so he and i walked up to the town which is just by the college and um We we rang in a bomb threat on the college, (laughs) (laughs) and like so. Oh my uh, god! (laughs) And then we we, incredible. We we, we, we go back down to the college, and I'm sitting there in the exam, like twirling my pen, going like any minute now, (laughs) we're gonna get called out. And you see these a few guys walking past in high vis jackets, like you know the luminous yellow. Oh yeah. I'm like yeah, baby, we're gonna be out of here. Yeah, nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing happened, and and like after about an hour and a half in the exam, I haven't I haven't written my name. Like, like I'm just like it's like what? Yeah, I'm getting out of here. You dick, what are you you doing? God. So yeah, that that went quite badly, and um, I got I got my results, and um, so like it goes A B C D E right? Um, Yeah. F is fail. Um. And then you get a U, which is ungraded, right? Which is worse. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> and I was like, right, okay, what am I gonna get? Right. I open the first one. It's a U. I was like, right, that's that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not a good start. I open the next one and it says X. I'm like dude like what what is an x <laughs> is that wow, extra good <laughs> ro- yeah extra <laughs> you know you know you're in trouble right when you have to turn the paper over and start reading the small print to try and figure out what it means like an x is worse than a u so it's like where you get a u on the exam paper but you haven't done any coursework right so oh, i hadn't i hadn't given in any okay course- you haven't so done anything an x Right. Uh-huh. I was like, well, OK, this, this is not looking good. And in the third one, I opened it up and just in letters, it says no result. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, uh, what does this mean? And um, that's kind of when you don't do any coursework and you don't turn up for the exam because I didn't, <laughs> you didn't, didn't even go. go. So and I had to lie to my parents and tell them I got three U's. Right, that's uh-huh. that's not a that's not a good lie. Like I got three of the like, and I wasn't even I got telling three the truth. Years. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was actually worse. I've lied to make like, so I was like, oh fuck, man! Like I've really, I've really screwed this up. And um, at this point, like I was just like, okay, a career in drinking then for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was. I, I ended up retaking them in Oxford, and I and I passed them despite drinking a lot. Um but uh that was yeah that was pretty pretty bad after you had to uh after you had to go
0: through the the spree of failures i'm I'm sure that that would uh i'm sure that that would inv- invoke a whole lot more drinking and using uh i know that when <laughs> i tried going to college one time and um i was I only did it because my parents were kind of pushing me to do it. And so I pick the, the biggest party school in the state. Um, and I move... And it's as far away from my parents as possible. Uh, I'm living with family, so I have no... I didn't have to get a job, and I didn't have bills to pay or anything like that. And so I, I, I register. And I, I take some of the dumbest classes, okay? So I take... Uh, I take Intro to Photoshop. That's um, a thing. That's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's a thing. um I took photography. Okay. I took weightlifting, and then I took what? like that's, I, yeah, that's also a thing. And then I know t- <laughs>
1: like you have some like, I know we like have like some NVQ and furniture really weird, removal. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We have
0: some really weird. I mean, you could honestly take a course in the states that's like underwater basket weaving right, and get okay, credit for yeah. it. Okay um and then i got a and then i took a a css um what the hell is the name of that where they uh, web design, web company, design yeah. yeah web design type thing where you're typing code and whatnot and i went and i had the exact same attitude as what you were talking about uh with your school which is like i would sh- i when i showed up i uh i wasn't I had zero drive to learn anything. I had zero drive to actually commit to anything. Usually when I was there is because they had these really nice, especially my Adobe or my, uh, my Photoshop class had these really nice, like brand new Apple computers. And so I was just fucking around on that (laughs) the whole time. And, uh, it was great. And come the end of the semester, the only class I passed was that Adobe class just because I was super into all of it. I failed weightlifting. Wow. Weightlifting consisted of going. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, not even kidding. Epic. Weightlifting <laughs> consisted of going. And uh, photography was one night a week uh, for two hours. And I went once. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was so bad it was so bad and uh i i totally tanked the the css class it was there was no chance that i was they uh i remember him saying something about um about code and like coding and this is probably like two or three weeks into it and i went in and he starts talking about coding and i'm like why the fuck is he talking about coding? This is web design. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had no, I had no idea that web, I thought it was just like art, you know, like you, you drag it, you know, like the little paint thing that's on, window, on PCs. Like you, you make little squares oh, and like, you so sweet, add that. shadows to it. Yeah. It was really bad. Um, and then that was literally, that was my, and it was my first college experience. Wow. Uh, And from that point on, um, I didn't, I didn't go back until I was clean, but the, I, I really had this, this defined thought in my head of, I am not a person to be educated, right? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live a life doing some type of trade or something like that. My dad owns a construction company. I'll go work for him. Uh, and I never, never in my life thought that I was even teachable when in reality, just, i was i had my head shoved so far up my ass uh that when i was in class i wasn't thinking about class i was thinking about partying or my classes in the morning i wouldn't go to because i was partying the night before yeah for sure um or i was more focused on uh i was more focused on how i was gonna get you know more shit or how i was gonna get booze or whatever um that i wasn't ever even i mean it was like paying attention to school is just like a foreign concept yeah. Yeah, to fart. and then uh i really thought and i honestly thought it was just like <laughs> high school uh <laughs> high school i my parents had to bribe my high school um i think they had to pay them like six hundred dollars or something like that for me to graduate because i wow. never went and my high school said, no, 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 you don't, You don't get a pass. And so my parents actually paid them like $600 for them to get me a diploma. And I still think that's probably the best $600 my parents have ever invested <laughs> in me. Like, ever. Okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and so I, I, I commend you for being able to go back and doing that because I wouldn't have been
1: able to. Yeah. I mean, it was a total shit show. I mean, it was just... It, it, you know, it was a catastrophe. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was. Yeah. it. And, and to be honest, you know, this, this is a bit of a, a variation on a theme throughout my, uh, my, my life up until I got sober really. Um, because I drank for a long time. How know? long? Uh, I reckon it's about 22, 23 years. Ooh.
0: I'm only twenty seven. Yeah,
1: I know. That's like my entire life. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, look, I and and you know, the the, the drink was really the, the cornerstone of it for me, um until I found cocaine. Ooh. Um and when when I found cocaine, um How old were you? Or how long, I guess how long into your career was this? So, I mean, I, I first had cocaine probably when I was like 18 or 19. But actually at that stage, because it was so expensive and kind of exclusive, and I didn't really know many people. It was like occasional like birthdays or whatever, like people would, would do some coke. Um, it wasn't until I had become quite successful in my career and then sort of got reintroduced to it a little bit um i always knew that like i loved how it made me feel Mm -hmm. um well at the start i did but (laughs) um cocaine got me like it really got me um you know i was doing six or seven grams a day every day um Damn! How did you afford that? Well, I worked in the financial city, and you know, I had a six figure salary. And wow, okay. Um,
0: I've actually, yeah. I, uh, I want to touch on that. I have heard. Um, usually, when you hear about, um, you hear about cocaine, specifically, lower. I don't know exactly how it is in like the financial industry in like New York and like the higher, the, the, the really high ups, but I can tell you a lot of the people that I've run into that in the States that are, uh, cocaine addicts or crack addicts, uh, are not part of a financial sector by any means. Like they can barely keep, they can barely keep like a cardboard box as a house. So the, the dynamic here, I've met so many people, very, very affluent, very wealthy people um from these these very prominent com- these companies that uh that have like horrible cocaine problems. And so is that just uh, i mean is that like a thing like throughout uh
1: throughout kind of England because that's just what i've been <clears throat> noticing. I mean i think it it it's very hard for me to to sort of comment in terms of other people uh, like a massive generalization yeah. in that sense but i mean i can tell you about my experiences which is that um, it's probably not as prevalent in the world of high finance as you think. But I think when people are in the space of doing cocaine, like they're in it, like they are seriously in it. So, really, <clears throat> yeah, I've known a few people throughout my career that um, have had, um, let's say, a problem. Mm -hmm. um with with cocaine um i mean in my professional career yeah right so um but um it's kind of a it's kind of a it's not like don't ask don't tell but it's um like i'm not going to talk to my colleagues about using cocaine in case (laughs) they don't use cocaine (laughs) because then the next thing is that i'm fucking fired yeah yeah. oh yeah and um so i think that um where where you might have a a group of sort of close-knit friends perhaps in a firm that might you know do something like that um and I think historically, probably a bit before my time, maybe in the 80s and the 90s, it perhaps was a little bit more prevalent, um, certainly from what I've read and from what I understand. Um, But um, there's also some, you know, a lot of, it's not like everyone's doing it off the photocopy. Right? Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. it's not like that. At all. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just not. <clears throat> like <laughs> You're not railing blow off your
0: assistant's desk. Yeah, that, okay. that, that, that's that, that I have I've, I've never seen
1: anything like that. Okay. So that, it, that, that that's not that, it's not the Wolf of Wall Street. It's not like you know Yeah, it's not that bad. Um Okay. It's it's it'd be cool. <laughs> Well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be cool. You, I mean, I mean, obviously, it would not
1: be a place I'd want to be, but yeah it's um and these are people that are making very very big important financial decisions as well right so um, you're talking about you know this guy manages your pension fund or whatever like yeah oh, 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 fucking, and he's i he's got- want him smashed off <laughs> his face <Yeah>. like
0: <laughs> um uh okay okay that's that's good i just keep getting the I've, I've i've met several people just in the rooms in the last month of being here that are uh like six figure uh mm-hmm. from you know working big organizations in london and uh I, t- I just keep getting this impression that's bigger than I thought.
1: I think don't get me wrong. I think cocaine use within UK, in my personal experience, and 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 again from what I understand, is extremely prevalent. Really? Like it re- yeah. Like really. I. No, I can't say that. I, I, I was going to say I think actually there's more people that probably do do it than don't do it, but actually uh, that, that that's that's a huge sweeping generalization. I think it's perhaps the people that I used to hang out with more people do, oh, yeah. did than don't. But but then I kind of gravitated towards that kind of person, right? So that's that's not a fair reflection of of or or, or comment on society uh, people so. in general.
0: <laughs> um, all right, so you you ended up uh, at a at a strong job, six figures a year is what you said, mm, right? Yeah, that's where I got to. Um, and you, then, then what happened? Like, what, what was it that brought you to a point where you're like, all right, I can't, I can't do this anymore?
1: So, <clears throat> um, for people that know about addiction and um, the the whole side of, I, I include alcohol in that, right? Like people sometimes identify as addicts or they identify as alcoholics i i just say addict i i mean everything right so it's all mm-hmm. encompassing um people in addiction addicts are like generally it's a disease of progression right okay things get things get worse and i've heard it said to me you know previously that you start off and it is fun right and then it's fun and consequences and then at the end it's just consequences right because um I think that I was always trying to fill this kind of hole inside of me. I was I always thought that I was kind of special and different to everybody else and that for quite a long time alcohol kind of I was building up a dam, right, of against this this force that alcohol provided me that dam. Um and eventually, um, I mean, it's important that I talk about my, my, my family and my, my, my marriage, um, which, um, I, I haven't mentioned at all in this previously. Yeah, I had but, no um, idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I was married, um, and I think I became, and I, I have a son, he's, um, going to be, uh, six in January and... I think, um, first of all, this is, w- when I talk about this, this is a very one-sided view that you'll get of this because obviously my wife's not here to, to say her part. So um, I'm very conscious of the fact that there's an enormous amount of bias mm-hmm. in what I say, regardless of how I try to present it. Um, but the, the reality is that I was very unhappy in that relationship Um, and um, I can't tell you if um, it was because of the drinking that I was unhappy in the relationship or because I was unhappy in the relationship that I escalated my drinking but I found it very difficult to cope with the birth of my son Um, at the start it was wonderful yeah it was great you have this kind of honeymoon period um, and lack of sleep. I don't know how I got through that, um, but but I did. And um, I just—it's not lost on me the fact that she and I have been broken up. Um, I guess kind of two years now, something like that. Like it's it, there's no definitive date really in that sense. But um, if you look at how old my son is, when she and I split up and you look at how old I was I was just gonna make well, that yeah, yeah I was just parents, gonna make that reference like if you look at history repeating like wow um and of course I've split up with her and I've come to live with my dad which is exactly what my dad did when he split up with my mom like it's exactly the same wow so <clears throat> um that sounds terrifying I would be terrified yeah <laughs> um and it's it's kind of it's it's really hard as well because i i had this career right and i essentially i didn't get sacked from my job and I won't mention any of the company names but um they were right like they 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 got rid of me mm-hmm. and they were completely right to do that completely right um I was a liability by the end of it um and um I'd tried to kill myself three times and like it was it was Awful for everybody, mm-hmm. um, but um, of course I left that career. I, I, I just felt that I can't go back to the city because of the culture to how I to what I might be exposed to, and I, I didn't want to go back. You know, I, 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 you know, I've been working in finance, like the sort of high finance for nearly 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of, once I lost my job, uh, they they gave me some severance, right? And um, I basically put it all up my nose. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I did though, like I did, like um, fast as well. Mm. Um, And... I, I was kind of destitute bouncing around between living with my dad and my aunt and my, my ex. And um, like no one, like I was just trouble. Like no one wanted me to be like, it was a horror show. Mm-hmm. Um, until I had a conversation with my aunt. One day we were driving, um, not far from here actually. And um, I just said to her, I, I'm not in control this has got me that I like, I am even, I was at the stage where, you know, when I'm using cocaine, I'm on my own, right? No other fucker is with me. I want to be on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm snorting Coke to stay awake and then drinking to try and go to sleep. Right. <laughs> okay. like this, the yep. people that are like, this oh, will yeah. be no stranger to a lot of people. Right. Yep. Um, and, like it's not fun. Like I'm I'm doing cocaine on my own with the curtains closed, probably crying, thinking about how bad my life is, and like I didn't even want to do the cocaine and I didn't want to drink. I'm like, I don't fucking want this stuff. But I I couldn't stop. Uh-huh. I remember looking at myself in the mirror just like like four AM, like one shitty like Monday morning. <laughs> looking at myself going, why can't you stop using drugs? Why can't you stop? And I thought, fuck, I'm in trouble here. So I spoke to her and I said, look, this is this has got me, this has got I I feel like I'm not in control of my actions. Like I'm not responsible. Like I'm not like, uh, like I, yeah. I, I I I wasn't trying to absolve myself of responsibility, though I think I probably was at the time, because I was at the height of my addiction then. And um Basically, she made some calls to various different rehab facilities. Um, and she saved my life, right? Because um, she found a place in Thailand, a rehab, right? Okay. Um, now, it's, there's, it's a form of medical tourism. Mm-hmm. Because rehab here, I think in the same as in the US, like it's really expensive. Yeah, it's crazy expensive. Um, <laughs> like really, really expensive. You're talking, you know, it could be... 10,000 pounds for the month easily. Oh, yeah. Easily. The I one mean, I
0: worked at was 30,000
1: a month. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's not uncommon, right? Yeah. Um, and I know some of the high profile name, again, I don't really want to say the names, but um, they could be like a thousand pounds a day, which mm-hmm. is similar to what you're saying. Um, so she found this place called Hope in Thailand. Um, I will say the name of that place because what, what a place, what an amazing place. Um, these guys, they, they saved my lives. They they saved my lives. Yeah, I have more they than one lives. lives. Um, uh, like it, it was, I was ready. I was I was done, Zach. I mean, I was so broken, so utterly broken, that I surrendered. Like I just said, I will do whatever you tell me. Just fix me, um, and I think that's. I've referred to this before as kind of, it's almost like step zero, right? Okay. I hadn't admitted that I was powerless over alcohol and that my life had become unmanageable, but I knew that something had to happen. Mm -hmm. I I had that willingness. Um, And I think that only comes from that kind of rock bottom, like that absolute... I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, like, every rock bottom has a trap door and all this stuff. Like, there's always further to, to fall. But I'd I'd hit this rock bottom where it's just like, I don't want to live like this. Mm-hmm. And that means either, like, not living or carrying on. But I don't know how... I can't live without cocaine and alcohol, so I don't know how I live. I don't know how this works. Um. So anyway she, she she essentially bought me a ticket over to Thailand um and paid for the first part of my stay and then my my dad paid for the last part um and I stayed there for 3 months um now I can't remember the exact numbers but it's about 6000 pounds a month um which is quite cheap mm-hmm. um relatively speaking yeah it's still a huge amount of money right oh yeah um and in going over there you just get this most amazing community of people that are all there to get better um you get a fantastic education into what addiction is and how it works um you do step work and, you know, in as much as you can, because you're not being sponsored over there, but you can still do steps, you know, like one, two, three, whatever, mm-hmm. um, and work around that. We did a lot of CBT therapy. Um, but the real game changer for me was mindfulness. Because um, I'm, I had not considered myself to be a spiritual person. I've told you briefly about my interludes with organised religion in the past. Um, LAUGHTER the (laughs) for the cop, uh the Ah, right in any case it is totally something i would have done yeah yeah right um but i went over there and um learning about mindfulness and really about buddhism um now buddhism was a game changer for me because um right and, and just before i start talking about buddhism I just want to say, like, I'm a lay person. I'm a, a lay Buddhist in that sense. Like, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff. It's it's all from my personal learning and experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I just found that mindfulness was an absolute game changer because it enabled me, through the practice of meditation and um, concentration and kindness to really think about life and it really gave me chance to reflect um, and I have so much respect for the mindfulness teacher over there a guy called Paul Garrigan um, and really the Buddhism is not in in the sense that I, I understand it a religion um, I mean it obviously is a religion but um, you know that as a Buddhist you don't worship Buddha as a god he was just a guy Mm -hmm. he was a prince actually but um, it's just this idea that there is an end to suffering Um, and that end to suffering is in seeing the world as it actually is not as how you think it is Um, and that just it was so powerful for me But, you know, I didn't have a... I would have said to you, like, I'm not a spiritual person at all before. Like, if you'd have spoken to me before I went about meditating and, like... I'd be like, get the fuck fuck out of here. What are you talking (laughs) about? Same way. Um, And... um, Now, I I would say it's arguably been the most important thing in my recovery. Um, Just having some of the principles and and the like when i think about buddhism i think about it as a philosophy really rather than a religion um and just as i was going through it and learning about it through my mindfulness classes i was just like no oh shit man this just makes sense to me like this really it seems very straightforward very very straightforward um and it's kind of intriguing as well because like it challenges some of the views that you've held traditionally. Um, And at the same time, I'm going through all my therapy and CBT and just kind of those, the the kind of pillars that, and they, you have to do physical exercise while you're there every day as well. Well, five days a week. Um, So I think this idea of like counseling CBT, mindfulness and exercise forms this triumvirate of you know the pillars of your recovery which i think is absolutely critical for me mm-hmm. in my recovery like it's 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 so important to have all three of those aspects you know to to be able to challenge your thoughts with some of the cbt tools and say you know is this really how it is and with mindfulness just to take time for yourself and to think i, I you know i sometimes will just sit and think um about the four noble truths of buddhism or some of the underlying principles like i said and it's just it's just wonderful and beautifully simplistic in 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 its it's elegant in its simplicity um and i mean do i identify as a buddhist i mean i, I do sometimes yeah i mean i'm not not consistently but um often i will and um you know i I love my meditation and um, you can see my little shrine to buddha just over (laughs) to the side there and um it's um it's powerful and um you know anyone can meditate and it's a case of, of of training um training your mind and i wouldn't say that i'm I'm not perfect at it. I mean, in fact, you know, really, I'm st- I've been meditating for like two years, and I, I'm I'm still really a beginner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's I'm, hard. That shit is hard <clears throat> to silence your mind. Holy
0: shit! Like,
1: yeah, I think that that's that's a bit of a common misconception around meditation, and, and I'd love to talk about that more perhaps another time. Okay. Um, but um, not that I'm an expert in any way, but um, you know that like. Trying to think of nothing is, is impossible. Like, you, you can't think of nothing. I can make it about 15 seconds. Well, if, you're, if, you're, if you're thinking about nothing, then, then you're the, still the thing, thinking about something. Yeah, right? because nothing is something, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a really good point. So, um, like, the idea really around um, starting through meditation um, is to practice concentration, actually. Mm. So um, it, it's really something called sati in, in the Pali language or, or samatha, mm-hmm. um, which are one, one half of the, the path to, to mindfulness. So focused, sustained concentration yeah. is, is really the first step towards enlightenment via meditation. The other half of the equation is something called vipassana, which is um, insight, um, and, uh, and there, there are a few fundamental insights that, um, but, and you know, and the the one that that I have tattooed on my arm, but you know, I have "this too shall pass" on my arm, which is a, as a saying that I absolutely adore. It absolutely, you know, it speaks to me, and really, that is a tenant of Buddhism, actually, because the first kind of key jewel in the um, the shrine of Buddhism is something called impermanence, which mm-hmm. is recognising that everything changes all the time. Mm. Everything. Um, in fact, the only thing that is permanent is impermanence. Yeah. Uh, which <laughs> is a really kind point. of a head fart, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? But, <laughs> but um, look, I, I don't want to go down the, the rabbit hole of talking all about B- Buddhism at this stage, but the, 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 this idea of, of impermanence is not... I mean, intellectually, I can know that, right? I mean, you can say, yeah. right, you know, since you and I came into this room, we are different people, you know, your, your hair's probably grown a bit and your fingernails have mm-hmm. grown a bit, oh, like, yeah. and everything changes, right? Um, but I'm talking about experiential, like it's actually having that insight. Mm. Um, and it's not something that you can just figure out. It's not, it's not an intellectual exercise, Mm -hmm. this is a deeply spiritual experiential process um and it's you know it could take a lifetime to master it but um it's all about the journey really the journey is the way i uh
0: i really like the way that you uh that you describe that especially meditation because there are a lot of misconceptions on Everybody has their own uh, different meditations, right? And uh, my immediate instinct is to think like shut your mind off, right? But there are you're you're absolutely right. Um, focusing or or concentrating and just kind of coming to I guess acceptance of reality. Uh, it's really it was really good. That was really poetic the way that you said that. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So you um you you went to treatment. And you've been doing this now for two years, right? Uh
1: well I'm gonna be coming up eighteen months clean uh in about a week. In about a week? Wow, dude, that's fucking awesome. Uh, uh oh I know, I tell lights the first days two weeks, two weeks. Two weeks, okay. So
0: you've been coming up on a coming up on two years now. What is how is life how is life now compared to what was then?
1: well, this is the point where I'm meant to say that everything's fantastic and uh, all my dreams <laughs> have come him. true. And don't, don't, don't I, bullshit them. Uh, like...
0: <sighs> I love asking this question because everybody has a different take Yeah, like.
1: yeah. So, like, is my life fantastic and great? No. Is... Do I want to kill myself? <laughs> no. Uh, yes. Right? So, it... it, it what can I say? It's immeasurably better than it was when I was using. Um, But life is not, you know, there is no formula for happiness. Well, I think there is actually probably a formula for happiness now, but I think it's such an individual thing in terms of what brings you joy and uh, happiness that, for me, it kind of boils down to choice. And today I have choice. I can choose that I want to sit here and do this podcast with you or I can choose that I want to go to McDonald's and buy sausage and egg muffin <laughs> or you know, whatever. Like, I, I have those options. Uh-huh. And before I didn't have that, my, my, my only option really was to get cocaine and, and to drink and be alone and be sad. Mm. And and think about how I was going to kill myself. Um, so, like it's night and day, right? I I have a life that I don't enjoy all the time, that is difficult. But I spoke to you early this morning about gratitude. Like I'm grateful that I have that chance. You know, I just b- because before I didn't I didn't have any choice and like i don't choose to be an addict and an alcoholic but i choose not to have a drink or do a line today Mm. and that's that's the difference for me i have the ability now to choose that i know that if i have that first drink or that first line all bets are off right Mm -hmm. everything is like we're playing russian roulette right yeah oh yeah um and that's, that's where my step one comes in for me, right? It's, it's I know, because, because I know that I'm powerless and that my life became so unmanageable, that really, if I do pick up, because I know I'm powerless, because I know, like, the responsibility is mine. Like, it is squarely on me. Nobody else is responsible for my sobriety except me, mm-hmm. and it's the most important thing in my life. It, it, it is, I since since I got clean, m- all of my old friends, I've seen one of them once in the last eighteen months, and I've known him since I was three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't associate with any of the people that I previously did. I've changed my career. I've changed where I live. You know, I've I. <laughs> I I could not change more things (laughs) if I tried. Um, And that's all in the name of recovery. All of it. Because if I don't have my recovery, I have nothing. I have no choice. The first thing that you put in front of your recovery is the
0: second thing you're going to lose. Is what they'd always tell me. Yeah. It was really good. It was really good. Um, All right, man. Well, we are actually out of time. So Spencer... You fucking <laughs> killed it, bro! I don't even think you realized like how how good you did. Um, but I really appreciate you uh, you letting me uh, interrogate you and then be my new co-host. Yeah, man. well, this is this, this is, is the, gonna
1: be. I'm gonna be super excited about yeah, this month. This
0: is cause... gonna be awesome. We've got some really good uh, some really good stuff in the works.
1: Yeah, so. so you guys, anyone listening to this, you better stay tuned. I know some. Re- I've got some really cool ideas that I'm gonna try and get Zach to. I'm excited. Yeah. So. It's going to be awesome. man. Right on.
0: Okay. Well, everybody who's listening, thanks for uh, listening in and we will catch you guys next week.